Hey everybody, um, this is Joel Pulliam and um, with another episode of the First and Fifteen podcast. Again, if this is your first time listening, thank you for joining us. A uh, little backstory, uh, I actually have a nonprofit of the same name and uh, the First and Fifteen basically comes from the First Amendment, uh, the right to free speech, and the Fifteenth Amendment, the right to vote. Um, I just thought it was a great combination. I've worked in politics and like getting people registered to vote in the past and I just think it it fits perfectly with what we're trying to do on this podcast, which is to engage people, to enlighten people, and help build a coalition so we can, you know, destroy all forms of oppression, uh, including white supremacy. Uh, what I wanted to talk about today is something that, again, um, has gone under the radar, I think. Uh, and, and that's another uh, goal of this podcast is to... Uh, inform people about the things that are affecting our community that maybe isn't in the headline news like that. Um, huge thing in the next few weeks, shoot, I mean, maybe not in the next few days, but in the next few weeks, um, there's going to be a decision in the Supreme Court. And this very well, almost assuredly, will end affirmative action. Um, the case is and i think we've all heard of affirmative action basically it's a uh it was a decision that said that universities had to take into account um quotas per se not the exact term quotas but how many uh students of different races were allowed in admissions and to uh, strive for diversity within college settings um and this has been a huge part of our lives for the over 50 years um, the actual case, there are two cases, right? Um, the first case is a lawsuit against Harvard by students for fair admissions. Uh, and that, that suit alleged that uh, affirmative action discriminated against Asian Americans on behalf of other minorities. And um, the second case was the same organization, uh, Students uh, for Fair Admissions Incorporated versus the University of North Carolina. Uh, now that the Supreme Court is split 6-3, obviously, um, in favor of conservatives, it's almost certain that they're going to weaken or entirely strike down affirmative action as unconstitutional. Uh, their argument will be if Supreme Court rules the way that I think they will, or most people think they will, um, they'll read the 14th Amendment as barring the use of racial preferences by co public colleges and universities, even though that's not true. And they'll interpret Section uh, 6 of the 1964 Civil Rights Act as restricting race-conscious admissions at any school receiving federal funds. And, and this also brings um, another thing about the Supreme Court that maybe I'll talk about in the future, um, that there are two different ideologies when it comes to interpreting the, uh, the Constitution, right? They're the people who take it literally, uh, which are mostly conservatives, that whatever the text says, that is what it is. It's not a, le a living, breathing document. Then there's the other side who believes that it is a living, breathing document that is subject to change in terms of uh, the time this, that we're in, right? Is that they wrote that in the 1700s or, you know, amendments later on down the line, but that doesn't necessarily pertain to verbatim for the situation and for the society that we're in today. I tend to be of the thought that the Constitution is flexible 
and that it's a living, breathing document that's shaped around how society is right now. While, again, conservatives are usually by the letter of the law, if it doesn't say it in there, then it doesn't exist. Um, and so that that has an effect on this case, too. Um, I think also when we talk about affirmative action, why this is so important is that it's not only for schools, but it's the president is set in society. This basically means that diversity is not something that needs to be uh, like it's not a focal point for society. Like it's not something that um, we need to really care about. That's that's the dangerous precedent it's setting is that um, diversity is not an objective anymore. And that can bleed through not only through schools, but, you know, workplaces. I know that in 2020, you know, all the businesses said, hey, we're going to hire more black people and we're going to get more diverse. Um, already that's kind of not worked out um, in terms of they've kind of turned their back and reversed that in the recent uh, years. But uh, I think in the workplace, what's going to stop businesses from saying, hey, we don't have to meet a quota. You know, we don't have to uh, hire, you know, black people. We don't need to meet, you know, a goal for diversity. What's going to stop that now? Like, what what signal does this send to other companies and businesses and entities that there doesn't need to be diversity? And again, what we've seen in the last few years, whether it's Roe v. Wade, whether it's voting rights, is that the Supreme Court for the first time and probably since the 1800s, the 19th century, we've seen the Supreme Court used to repeal rights. It has always been, while it's been slow, the gears of justice when it came to, to the Supreme Court and then being on the right side of history, it's never been regressive, at least not in the last almost 150 years. But now, in the last few years, like I've named Roe v. Wade, the Voting Rights Act, we've seen it that the Supreme Court now is repealing. They're repealing rights that we've fought for. Um, and affirmative action is one of those things. Uh, again, a little backstory on affirmative action. Um, in education, it was first used in the late 60s, right? Uh, voluntarily by universities to become uh, more diverse racially. And so, and it was kind of in coordination with, you know, the recent passing of civil rights and voting rights legislation. They They wanted to be like, the country was moving forward and they didn't want to be left behind. Um, the attention was to to accept more students, especially black ones, who had been historically shut out of predominantly white schools. And almost immediately, but I don't think surprising to anybody, you know, white students who objected it legally started to challenge affirmative action. I'm talking about almost immediately. Um, and then in 1978, you know, the Supreme Court ruled that the quota system was unconstitutional. But the school, that schools, they also ruled, on the other hand, that schools could still use race as a determining factor in accepting applicants in order to promote diversity. So technically, you know, they ruled that you can't have a numerical quota, right? But that schools could still use race to be like, hey, we want our, uh, uh, we want our schools to, to, to be somewhat diverse, Right. It, again, it couldn't be a specific number, but they could still strive for diversity through admissions. Um, I think a lot of people are concerned, obviously, that ending affirmative action, it would lead to a, a, a 
devastating drop. That's probably the right word. And the amount of like black and Latino, Native American students at PWIs. And while we want, obviously we want HBCUs to flourish. So that's not, you know, even a question. We want them to flourish. But if black students were trying to go to uh, a Harvard or another school, just as the as a citizen, you should be able to go to whatever school you want to. And uh, again, it sets a dangerous precedent that diversity is no longer a priority for us. And um, it's just the latest, uh, and again, and regressive rulings, uh, rulings that, that, that roll back the clock on the rights that we want. I mean, you take even someone like Justice, you know, Roberts. People thought 15 years ago, oh, he's kind of moderate. He's, you know, he, no, he's not moderate at all. He is, he is on the right and firmly on the right. And um, I just think now that he doesn't have to, to hide under the guise of it being like a split majority, his 6'3", there's nothing holding him back from voting, you know, along conservative lines every single time. And so with it being 6'3", this is kind of, I hate to say a done deal, but I mean, it's a done deal. And I think the scary part, and this goes to a larger thing, is that when we talk about the news, and and I'm not a journalist, I really don't want to be in the media like I feel like I'm an activist and then this podcasting was just a way for me to get I mean for me to be heard basically so it's not really my thing but what the media has done so terribly wrong is the issues that matter they've gone under the radar and I think it's why I appreciate the Roland Martins you know of the world people who draw attention to these stories that affect us as much as any that are in the headlines but they don't get the headlines. Affirmative action is huge. Again, it's been around since before many of us were born, you know, for 40 some odd years, 50 some odd years. And so this is a major, these are like institutions that are being radically changed, but not for the better, right? We want institutions to change radically, but more progressive, more future-leaning, more towards diversity, more towards where this country is heading, but they're being radically changed in a totally different direction. And um, this is huge. And I think not a lot of people, if I ask people I know about, oh, do you, you heard what's happening for affirmative action, I don't think a lot of them would know. Not because, oh, no, they're, no it's not because anyone's ignorant. It's that while news is as easily accessible as, as it's ever been, the many directions that it's pulled and like I just feel like it's it's turned into hot takes and what sells right more so than actual news more so than what's going on in this country and what really can affect your day-to-day I don't really care about celebrity stories or what's happening in this area like what's happening to the Supreme Court should be on everyone's minds right now um, the voting rights, and I'll talk about this in uh, probably the next episode about voting rights is again being brought before the Supreme Court, and there's going to be huge ruling on that also. Uh, so, again, I would I would tell everyone to be prepared. It didn't have to be this way, but again, um, <laughs> this was kind of set in motion when you, when Republicans get two seats, you know. 
that's what happens. Uh, 6-3 conservative slant on a Supreme Court. Um, they're not saying we're in a world of trouble, but it doesn't seem to be any way to stop it. Except, and this is the activist part of me, like, I would want the Democratic Party and Joe Biden, this sounds radical, but I'm calling, like, to run on a platform of expanding the Supreme Court and ending the filibuster because the only way you think in U.S. history it's taken radical change for, for, for those systems to end, right? Whether it's, you, we needed a whole civil war and the John Browns and, you know, not advocating for violence, but I'm saying, like, there needed to be a 13th Amendment, an Emancipation Proclamation, if it wasn't for those on the side of, like, the Frederick Douglasses and the Harriet Tubmans, we don't end slavery as soon or as early. And then when it comes to civil rights, again, there needed to be a breaking up, a almost realignment, no, a realignment of party to pass the Civil Rights Bill, to pass the Voting Rights Act. It took a, a, a John F. Kennedy saying, you know, on that summer night, like, hey, you know, making a civil rights speech. And, and the crazy part about that is that Megger Everest gets killed just a few hours later in his driveway. You know, I, it takes a, a, an LBJ saying, you know, we shall overcome. Obviously, it's, it's, it's mainly the work of the, the, the Megger Everest and the Martin Luther Kings and Diane Nash and the John Lewis who make it happen. So I'm not giving credit to, oh, the credit belongs to the president. But it took that pre those presidents, they also had to step up to the moment. You know, it took an LBJ saying, no, we're going to have a civil rights act. We're going to have a war on poverty. We're going to have, you know, a, 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 a voting rights act for things to actually get done. And that's what I'm saying today. It can't just be voting is the most essential part. So I'm not saying don't vote. But when we vote, those who we vote for have to have our interest in mind and be willing to do whatever. The profiles encourage. We need that today. And expanding the Supreme Court, um, very important to me. Like, I, I just think it's the only way. I don't see another way around it. Especially since the people that were added to the Supreme Court are pretty young when it comes to, in Supreme Court years, not young like that, but 40s, 50s, you're young when it comes to the judicial branch. Um, I just feel, again, going back to... Uh, affirmative action I think also what we need to address is this um, again we need diversity so I'm not I just feel black people and just from my experience in particular there has to be some recompense some repayment for what we've put into this country and what we suffered at from the hands of this country and affirmative action was a way to obviously it's nowhere near enough it's not reparations or anything. It's nowhere near enough of what needs to happen to bridge that gap. But it was one of the ways to help, at least in education or the opportunities, we can help bridge that gap. Diversity benefits society as a whole, but that was something that could help somewhat right the ills of yesterday. And this is the least you can do, and you, you take away even that. And even a Clarence Thomas, he knows what it was like during Jim Crow. And for him to rule in favor of things like taking away affirmative action 
It shows a moral cowardice. It, it's rather... It's, it's disgusting to me um, that any human could turn their back on people, but that he should know better. And he knows how hard it was for black people to receive an education. So there's going to be ripple effects of this case. Um, I have no idea what's next. I know I said before, Brown versus Board of Education. I said this one time in a tweet, and that sounds crazy, but it sounded crazy removing Roe v. Wade, didn't it, a few years ago? Affirmative action ending sounded crazy. The Voting Rights Act, it sounded like, oh, people thought that will stay forever. Nope. Now we have affirmative action gone. So who's to say that when it comes to schools and desegregation, we could reverse that? You just never know now. When you have six to three conservative Supreme Court, this is this is the battle we're in right now. A battle over what we want to be. And either you have to be ten toes down one way or another. There is no straddling the fence. You're going to have to choose this day because... They're trying to come for it all. And you have to match energy. Whatever, how much, however far they want to take it, we can take it that far. Obviously non-violently, but whether it means to bring this country to a standstill, we should do it. Whether it means, okay, if they pass that, I'm calling on, on all college athletes, especially black ones, sit out. Transfer to HBCUs. Don't keep going to these institutions and and this is a whole nother, I really want to have an episode of this, of, of the connection between sports and colleges and states themselves and the power that college athletes hold. But this, this is a big, big, big loss in terms of um, our progression as a society. And I know people listening to this, there might be some who think, well, this is not a big idea. I'm telling you, if your child was prepared to go to, let's say, an Ivy League school, now there's nothing to guarantee they even have to accept them. <laughs> Think you built your whole life like, oh, you know, my child's going to go to Harvard. You know, not saying Harvard's like way better than any of the college, but I'm just saying, oh, my son's going to go to Michigan. My daughter's going to go to Yale. There's nothing to say that those schools have to admit them anymore. And that will change how invested you are in the future of your community. Because when it starts to hit you, when it starts to come at your doorstep, then you're going to care. But I, I just wish people wouldn't wait to that moment. Because by the time that happens, it's too late. It's already at your doorstep. So I need everyone listening to this. Stay tuned to this podcast, but also watch the news. You know, read the newspaper and reputable sources, not Fox News. Please don't get news off of Facebook. Like reputable sources. I, again, I'll say Roland Martin. I think he does a great job, him and his network. So there are other people out there, you know, who, who, who offer news and just the straight news of what's happening in this country. And we are in a tough position. I think sometimes I become frustrated and it feels like you're yelling into the wind. And um, I don't know. I... I I don't really care about coming off bitter or whatever. It's not that. It's the fact you can see on the horizon that while on the surface it might seem good, like, oh, you know, America's going back to normalcy. I am telling you, evil never stops working. And that while we have a Democratic president on the state level, save for, like, uh, you know, the exceptions like 
Minnesota and Michigan, Republicans are trying to take over and punish people. And um, we need to be aware uh, of the situation that we're in. So again, in future episodes, I want to talk more about um, not just the news, but what we can do to actually get what we want. Um, and so in these next few episodes, maybe we can talk about the activism and what we can do in terms of boycotting and withholding monies to actually make change in this country. Because again, unless we all do it, it really won't matter. Um, so with that being said, um, please again, stay aware. And again, there's nothing wrong with being upset because passion only means one thing that you're still alive. Thank you and God bless.